As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Welcome to this replay of Ask N.T. Write Anything, where we go back into the archives to bring you the best of the thought and theology of Tom Wright, answering questions submitted by you, the listener. You can find more episodes as well as many more resources for exploring faith at premierunbelievable.com, and registering there will unlock access through the newsletter to updates, free bonus videos and ebooks. That's premierunbelievable.com. And now for today's replay of Ask N.T. Wright Anything. Well, today on the show with Tom, uh, we're tackling some pastoral issues. And again, we will give our usual caveat here. Tom uh, is a very pastoral person, but he is not your pastor. Um, And if you do have uh, issues, uh, we we can only deal with them on a very surface level, obviously, on on the podcast. Do seek out wise counsel, Christian counsel, that can help you navigate uh, the the really difficult pastoral issues. That is what the church is there for. but we will we will tackle some of these um, on the program today, Tom. And it's a, re- a part two, really, to the last podcast where we were talking about some of the theological issues around suffering and pain. The, these are very much practical examples of people navigating that themselves. So why don't we leap right in um, with Joanna in Connecticut, USA, who says, Three years ago, I lost my dad very unexpectedly, aged 61. He was such a wonderful father and grandfather, and I miss him terribly. I'm hoping you can provide some practical and theological advice for how I can approach prayer at this stage. In days when my heart feels particularly heavy, I find two key obstacles in prayer. Firstly, doubts. When I'm deeply sad, belief can seem like wishful thinking. Prayer can seem like a silly exercise in just talking or thinking to myself. And secondly, my grief can feel selfish and unimportant. I know how incredibly fortunate I have been in my life. And in the scheme of all the suffering in the world, my broken heart can feel selfish and like something I shouldn't really bother God with. So two two things sort of blocking Joanna feeling able to pray in the midst of this grief from losing her father there, the doubt and the feeling that, well, isn't my grief rather just small and unimportant in the big scheme of things? Yeah, Wow. Joanna, my heart goes out to you. Um, That sense of tearing loss and of waking up in the morning and then there being a split second and then it hits you again. He's gone. He's not there. This this is just terrible. And and, uh, those of us who've faced any such experience know exactly what you're going through, I think. Um, In the middle of that, I really want to say right up front, this is not selfish and it is not unimportant. God loves your broken heart as much as he loved your unbroken heart before. Um, If anything, 
I want to say God loves your broken heart even more. God specializes in broken hearts. God's own heart was broken on the cross. That's what the story is all about. The grief of God going all the way back to when God looked at the wickedness of humans and it grieved him to his heart. It says that in the in the Noah story in Genesis. So, I mean, somehow we have to say actually God knows about grief too. And we see that it's a mystery, of course, as to what that means until we see Jesus, Jesus weeping at the tomb of his friends, Jesus weeping himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in a sense, I would say the only way into prayer in that context will be through inhabiting stories like that. I think were I in your position, Jana, I might want to uh, read through um, the Gethsemane story in Matthew or Mark, or read through the story of John, uh, of um, in John's Gospel, chapter eleven, of Jesus going to Bethany to be with Mary and Martha, and don't hurry on too quickly to the actual raising of Lazarus, because there is a moment there where Mary and Martha just come with their broken hearts. Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died, and and just just stop on that and go into the story yourself and see what Jesus then says to you when you say to him, if you'd been here, my dad wouldn't have died, and, and, and resonate with that moment of, of sorrow and grief before moving on to the promise which is there of the final resurrection, of which the raising of Lazarus is, of course, an extraordinary foretaste. And the doubts which, of course, almost all of us have in prayer, when it does just seem rather silly, we're just thought, thinking and talking to ourselves. I would say this is one of the reasons God has given us the Psalms. Psalms like Psalm 42 and 43. Why are you so heavy, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Trust in God. Hope in God. I will again praise him. I am down in the pit at the moment, but I can see that there might be a place to which I will come and go through that psalm. Or when it gets really bleak, if you can bear it, go into Psalm 88, which leaves you in the dark, but with the knowledge that somehow it's God's darkness. And that feels strange because isn't God the creator of light, but actually that's a way through. The Psalms were Jesus' prayer book, and they should be our prayer book as well. So that's where I would start with some of those harrowing stories in the Gospels, to read them slowly and prayerfully, becoming a spectator in the crowd who then ceases to be a spectator and becomes somebody who can come herself and spread out her sorrows before Jesus. And then the Psalms again and again. And as an extra, I've often said to people, sit down, turn off the television and the phones and all the rest of it, and read Isaiah 40 to 55 from start to finish, straight through, and sense Israel in exile, Israel in sorrow, Israel in grief, Israel having lost hope, and God saying, actually, I'm God, I can do new things, and out of that, who knows what's going to grow. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Hope that was helpful to you, Joanna. Um, let's go to someone in Oklahoma. I won't give the name. I'll keep this one anonymous. But um, this 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 is an issue that that is so prevalent now, mental health um, issues. And I think particularly uh, of prevalence among uh, the younger end of the population. This person says, I'm 19 and I struggle with an eating disorder, depression and anxiety. 
these topics feel a bit taboo to talk about within my church community. I can't help but wonder, does the Bible cover mental illness at all, even though it wasn't really known back then? Have I just missed it? Um, I mean, neither of us claim to be experts in in this area of of mental health, but I I am aware, as I'm sure you are, Tom, that they they do say this is an increasing issue um, among uh, young people, possibly exacerbated by the nature of social media and the pressures that puts on young people. Um, and um, for all of our technological advances, we, we seem to be failing in this respect, the, the, the increasing prevalence of alongside that is a, an increasing willingness, I think, to talk about this in an open way, to acknowledge it, um, to try to help and not to treat to sort of shove it under the carpet, perhaps as people may have done. And, and even among our churches, I'm seeing positive moves now, not this, this person's church they say it does still feel like a taboo topic and and i can understand that very often we live in churches where you're supposed to be living in victory and if you say well i feel depressed that sort of somehow you feel like a failure um you know um well there's lots lots to potentially talk about there but 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 what about this person themselves um how do you think the bible itself covers mental illness at, at any level yeah, I, as I read the Psalms, which I just mentioned in the answer to the previous question, there are points in the Psalms where I think if somebody came to me and said, this is how I feel, I would think as a pastor, hmm, I think this is above my pay grade. I think we need to help you find a psychotherapist, some kind of mental health counseling, because um, that's not my training. That's not my particular gifting. But I'm aware of it as a hugely important part of what has to be done within the larger community. Um and uh, I, like anyone, I, I have suffered from severe depressions at certain points in my life, in my early 30s and uh, once or twice since. And I, I've known amazing counselling and help, sometimes within the church and sometimes outside the church. So, I mean, I'm very much aware of that. And I think also um, the passage in the New Testament, which strikes me particularly, is the first chapter of Second Corinthians, where St. Paul says, I want you to know that when I was in Ephesus, I got to the point where I despaired of life itself. And that is almost a definition of a nervous breakdown. And they don't have, of course, that category of, of nervous breakdowns, because the medical literature, I don't think at the time, covers that sort of thing. Although I think the sophisticated doctors in the Hellenistic world were aware of the continuity between the the mind and the body and the way that some bits of who we are and our environment may make us gloomy. They talk about the different humors and people being in a black humor, um, meaning that something has got out of balance and things that ought to be stable have tipped over one way or another. And we all no doubt have our different metaphors for it. In the Bible, I think what we find rather is human beings being called somehow to trust God in a very strange and often threatening world. And there are many passages in the Old Testament as well as the New, which are very strange and threatening. And where, I mean, in the book of Lamentations, um, that that lament is of somebody whose the, the bottom has dropped out of their world completely. What on earth are they going to do? And though it's not described as mental illness, it seems to me that, that, that this person has got into an extraordinary depression and despair. So 
uh, it's not that it's absent from the Bible, and it's certainly not the case that all Christians should be happy all the time. That, Sorry, that's just not how life is. And it seems to me from the Psalms and the example of Jesus, that's not how we should expect life to be. And Paul himself is in prison half the time, and some of the time that seems to be pretty miserable, um, even though he then writes encouraging letters to people. So that I think we need to break through the taboos. And if your church circle can't do that, you need prayerfully to seek out help somewhere in your community, even just Googling, um, you know, local mental health facilities or whatever. There should be help somewhere. Ideally, these days, many churches are being much more sensitive to that need for help. And if one gently asks somebody on the pastoral team at church, they may actually say, oh, well, yes, I'm glad you came to me. I can steer you in this direction. There are helps like that which can be offered. But at the age of 19, that's really hard. And uh, I have known people at that age struggling with eating disorders and depression and anxiety. And I want to assure you that the community as a whole should be holding on to you in prayer and loving you through this, because this is a tough time. When I was a student chaplain, I met it all the time, um, this, this kind of thing. And, and we will come through this together, but it's got to be something where you can link arms with friends and where you can go and weep with those who will weep with you, preferably in the church who can pray for you as well. Uh, and, and God will be with you in that dark time, but cling on to the story of Jesus in and through it all. Mm. If I could recommend one particular resource that I, I think is, is fantastic on this front, the Mind and Soul Foundation um, oh. is a very helpful Christian charity that specifically deals in these areas. You can find them Great. online, mindandsoulfoundation.org. Thanks, Justin. I, that was news to me. Yeah. I, I'm afraid I, because I haven't worked in that area no, no. in the last decade it, it, or so. But, yeah. but just, just for the sake of this person in, in sure. Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma, that may be a starting point. There are yep. many other very yep. good um, online places to begin um, to, where, where I'm sure they will be able to point you in the right direction to, to access people you can talk with and, and and help in that regard but yes we, we our heart does go out to you that it is so tough and I, I meet so many people in a similar situation especially younger people before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast i have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this easter as you know nt wright is without doubt one of the greatest christian thinkers and apologists of our time and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask N.T. Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash N.T. That's premierinsight.org forward slash N.T. Thank you. Um, let's do one final one, and uh, and we will draw this to a close. Um, again, 
we we get all kinds of questions and some of them are longer than others this is on the the longer end um but gives us a sense of the background to this this pastoral question um again anonymous but from iowa um and this person says it's hard to ask this question without letting you into my past i'm a 30 year old man who's married with three kids i grew up a missionary's kid in the 90s in bangladesh during that time i was repeatedly molested by an older boy I honestly have forgiven the person and completely understand this could very well have been something that happened to him and was just repeated to me. But nevertheless, the scars remain and I suffer from depression and a sense of loss. After the 90s, my dad became a pastor in America. And at at this time, I was 12. A trusted man in church came over when my parents were not home and bought a DVD case full of pornography. Truthfully, I was excited at the time. Now, looking back, I feel a deep sense of shame and disgust towards this person. I'm not trying to throw a pity party for myself, but the truth is I simply wish I didn't come to be. I wish I had never existed. I grew up learning about God and having a sensitive awareness of my sins. I just struggle so much. I want to love God, but I feel as though he's done with me. I already know the answer. He isn't, but it doesn't feel that way at all. I'm so sorry to throw this all on you. I don't really want to speak to my pastor because, well, my pastor is my dad. I just pray and hope that your wisdom can see through this mess and give me some sort of hope or guidance. And goes on here. I feel such a loss and hate for myself. I feel like such a disappointment to my family. I've been drinking myself away. And the thought of God just hurts. It doesn't feel freeing or relieving to even turn to God. It feels burdensome. So maybe this is my question, or at least one of them. Can God change me? Or will he allow me into his kingdom if I were to die this day, having done not a single thing for him other than just asking him to forgive me? I always grew up learning that sinners will burn for eternity. And frankly, that's where I feel destined. Thanks, guys, so much. Do love the podcast. And uh, I've been listening to my other podcast, Unbelievable, from since 2011. Um, well, we, you haven't given us your name, but that's absolutely fine. It's understandable. Um, this is this is a heartrending, isn't it, Tom? Um, but where do you begin? Yeah. My my heart absolutely goes out to this poor man, and uh, it, it is it is a multiple tragedy, and the fact of the difficulty about turning to the pastor because the pastor is the dad, who may or may not know about some of the backstory here, um, that makes it multiply worse. And I would say, please, please, without any disrespect to your father, find a different pastor locally. Um, somebody who you can talk to either on the phone or preferably in person, somebody who can weep with you, somebody who can journey with you, who can um, work through key scriptural texts, etc. with you. I fully see that the very thought of church and God and Bible and all that may just feel like more of the same, more of the burden. And this awful sense, which I've met in other people who've been um, physically or, or sexually ab- abused or molested, that somehow they are guilty, that they're dirty, that, it, that, that uh, they are scarred and they're ashamed, even though it was something that other people lured them into. And that, that, is, that is terrible. And so many many people live with that sense of shame. And I want to say the gospel is all about Jesus coming to the place where there's the woman taken in adultery at the beginning of John chapter 8. There's wonderful scenes in the Old Testament where um, God is basically saying, um, uh, here we are, life is beginning again. Isaiah 54. I mean, I, I would I would like to say to this person, uh, just live with Isaiah 54 for a week, read it, memorize it, learn it. Um, 
pray that God will enable you to hear him speaking to you in the middle of all of that. But then there's something else as well. This is a man who's married with three kids. We don't know uh, what his wife thinks about this. We don't know what sort of relationship they have. But if possible, to share some of this at least with the spouse is, is, is it may be difficult. It may be something that can't happen immediately, but that would be um, one thing to work towards. But there are three children who desperately need their dad and they need him to be there for them. And it may be that in somehow learning to be there for them, there may be a possibility of opening yourself to being the channel of God's love for them. And as God's love comes through you to them in whatever ways are appropriate, so that love will be rinsing you out in various ways. That may sound like an ideal solution. It isn't a solution. It's a, it's a vocation. Um, but in the pursuit of that vocation, to be the best father that you can be for these children, and we are none of us as good fathers as we would like to be, but we all have a sense of what that might be like, and we can work towards it. So some of that same love will, as it were, rub off on you. That that would be my my hope. I would also say, you say, I've been drinking myself away. Please stay away from that, because that way all sorts of dangers lie. And and I do understand about the thought of God just hurting. I, I know people in exactly that position. And I think the way for that not to hurt is for you to love your children and for you to ask God, please help me to be for them the father who will show them what fatherhood really is like. And maybe you will start to receive something of God's father love as you do it. I... I I'm quite eaten up with these questions. I, 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 wish, <laughs> I wish I could be a pastor to this person, even though it's obviously inappropriate and, and impossible. But I will pray for these people who have mm. written in, even though at the moment they're anonymous, or some of them are, um, and, and just hope and pray that through the ministry of the larger church, even where the pastor of the own church is, is, is not somebody to whom you can turn, there will be healing, there will be hope, there will be a turn in the mm. road. But the Psalms and the stories of Jesus and passages like Isaiah 54 are places that I would cling to for dear life. And I suppose it goes without saying that for this and, and indeed some of the other questions we've read, counselling is is important, you know, and, and of so, course it may well be within a Christian context, but there are equally secular forms of counselling which can be very helpful and beneficial in, in in helping people work through and, and i just have a sense that that this person really does need to, yeah. to have that kind of input part of the trouble with our generation is that we've treated christianity as though it was an individual sport mm. it isn't it's a team sport we're supposed to be part of the body of christ and that means we are all supposed to be enmeshed together. And part of the reason maybe why we don't hear so much about mental illness in the first century is because everyone or most people were part of larger networks and communities where things could be sorted out in different ways. We have tried to live as individuals and we often crash and burn. And the fear of burning for eternity, that's really horrible. Mm. And it sounds to me as though this person is not on that track at all. But actually, it's a burning which is going on right now and which is being projected into the future. And we want to hope and pray for alleviation for that burning 
right now because that's where the hurt is. Mm. Yes, I, I mean, the, the question at the core of this was, can God change me? Well, I suppose change happens in all kinds of ways. And obviously, we want and we believe God wants healing for this person. Absolutely. But that may be a long road and it may require um, absolutely taking some yeah. practical steps to yeah put yourself in a position where where people can speak and god yes. can work through yes counseling and, through yeah. and extraordinarily that can be a very long slow process but there can be sudden hikes in the process mm. uh, it can happen through somebody else's prayer suddenly that something is released a moment of of turning in the road a moment of the clouds parting and sunlight coming um you can't organize that you can't um program it but God can, and please, God, in this case, mm. will do such things. And, yeah. and may you come through and round and out into the light. I, I, and I can testify for that, that I know people and a person I have in mind specifically who I would say they, they have struggled with something and prayed to God. And counseling has been enormously beneficial. And I would just say that is an answer to prayer. God uses Absolutely. counseling. God use don't see this as somehow it has to just be a God zap you and, and change you. Um, God, God can use all kinds of means, but yeah. again, yeah. we're just scratching the surface on this. Obviously, even even with a fairly lengthy question, we we don't know all the details, but we thought our prayers are with with you and um, and for that situation and yeah. all the others we've covered. Tom, thank you so much for your time. You're so generous, you. um, uh, and cool. we we look forward to seeing you again. Um, for now, thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Great to be with you again. Mm-hmm.